Hi everyone, this is Tracy Fenton, founder of World Blue and the World Blue Academy, and welcome to the Freedom at Work podcast. I'm here to teach you how to think with a freedom-centered mindset, thrive as a freedom-centered leader, and finally, how to build a freedom-centered culture for your team or workplace. This podcast is about answering one key question. How can you, as a leader, use freedom rather than fear to unleash the full potential of individuals, teams, and organizations in order to achieve breakthrough results and change the world for the better? If you want to explore the answers, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Great to be with you. Today, we're exploring freedom at work within a high-growth, freedom-centered company that the media has been raving about. My guest today is Matthew Gonnering, CEO of Widen, a marketing technology company that assists organizations in managing their digital content based in Madison, Wisconsin. And they're a World Blue certified Freedom Center culture for five years in a row. Matthew was just named Executive of the Year by In Business Magazine for leading Widen with a freedom-centered rather than fear-based culture. Matthew, it's an honor to have you on the show. Grateful to be here, Tracy. Thank you for having me. So Matthew, to get us started, tell us a bit more about what Widen does and why you believe in leading Widen with a freedom-centered rather than fear-based culture. We help marketing and product teams to organize their digital content, as you mentioned, and we have an incredible amount of brilliant talent that exists across customer-facing teams, technology teams, and so how can we best maximize our contributions to our customers is taking this talent and just letting them shine, letting their God-given gifts free in these chaotic markets. And the best way to do that is to organize around the freedom-centered principles. And that's because it invites additional conversations. It allows things to flow much better as opposed to waiting for some hierarchy to make a decision or some kind of a a command control structure to, to dictate what needs to be done. The people that we have within are very capable of making these decisions. And so letting them understand our market, letting them understand our customers, letting them collaborate with each other and letting them work within the the freedom-centered environment that we've created is providing the maximum value to the marketplace. So that's why we've opted to adhere to the freedom-centered principles. You know, I love that. Something you said about letting people's God-given potential shine, right? And I know that's what first brought me into this work is this whole concept that every single person has potential in them. Every single person has the right to be able to shine. And you can't do that in a fear-based environment, right? You have to have a freedom-centered culture in order to do that. And companies grow and prosper as a result of that. And that really starts with a certain kind of mindset. You know, we teach at World Blue the Freedom at Work model, which has three parts to it, mindset, leadership, and design. Of course, a freedom-centered mindset, freedom-centered leadership, freedom-centered design. We're going to talk about all of that on the show today. But let's start with that mindset piece, which you're already kind of getting into, Matthew. And tell us kind of how did you get on the path to building a freedom-centered culture at Wyden? I mean, Wyden's, what, a 100-year-old company, I think? This is, this is not, you know, a 20-year-old company. It's been around for a long time. You became CEO. How did you get Wyden on this path? What's the mindset shift that you had or that you brought to it? 
Yeah, and we were we were founded in 1948, so we're in our 71st year of business. And I think the the intent that the founders had back in 1948 was to bring together people that could help solve a customer problem. I think the spirit of that has been alive and well for 71 years here. I think the dynamics of of business have changed and how cultures are assembled and and how they are aligned has certainly changed. And so what we've done and what I've been inspired to do by others in the World Blue community is to explore how these freedom center principles look within Widen and how we might set up a culture that would maximize the, the potential of our people. And so learning from people that have been doing this for for twice as long as we've been doing it, learning from people like Rich Sheridan, who, when I read his book, Joy Inc., and I was guided to that book by, by a customer of ours who learned about the widened culture and said, have you ever read this book by, by Rich? And I said, I, I had not. And so I went and bought it and I read it and then I engaged with Rich and, and Rich introduced me to the World Blue Network and I started to connect with other like-minded leaders and, and it was highly impactful such that I knew that this was the next level up because thinking about scale was was important to me. We were transitioning our business as we've navigated many pivots in the the more than seven decades that we've been around. There's a lot of pivots in that. And so we were transitioning the business, but also gearing up to scale. And how were we going to scale the culture of the organization? That was what I was in pursuit of. That is that is what I found in World Blue is, yes, these great principles, but also principles that could, that could stay with us for a very long time, not just as a 70-person operation, but as a 160-person operation. And as we explore going forward as a 300, as a 1,000, as a 10,000-person organization. So it was designed with scale in mind, and, and we are reaping the benefits of that. I love that you bring out this point about scale. And that's something that I feel like we've we've really figured out well. So often when companies are trying to build a freedom center culture, they just try to implement a couple of best practices, kind of a DIY approach. And they don't understand that there are actually principles that you have to have in place. And you take those principles, principles are scalable. Best practices aren't always scalable, right? The way you practice a principle in a company of 10 people looks different than the way you might practice a principle in a company of 50,000 people, but that principle is still there. And we're going to talk more about those those democratic principles in a few moments. Tell me too, I I remember you had this really fascinating story about your father and growing up and the impact that that experience had on the way you now lead wide. And will you you tell us about that? Yeah, I've been blessed to be able to see my grandfather start a company, my dad run a company and own a company. So I've had incredible guidance through the years, witnessing leadership and witnessing growth and also having a chance to witness what is probably the greatest fear of many business owners, which is, which is failure, which is non-existence of the business. The business goes away. And I, and I got a chance to, to see my dad grow a business. He saw demand, he saw opportunities, and he pushed forward in pursuit of those opportunities. And it made some investments in advancing a book manufacturing company that he owned and operated. And as he tried to grow, there were some some challenges that he had. And as he tried to navigate those challenges, things didn't work out as he planned. And the organization went into receivership and then it, it was gone. And so that, that happened in 1999. And I was part of the organization when that happened. 
although my dad was very adamant as, as I was going through college that I was not allowed to work for the company after I graduated. He said, son, when you're done with college, you need to go find a job because you're not going to find it here. So I said, great dad, I'll, I'll go find a job. So I did. And then I, I came back to work for him and tried to help him out. But I got a chance to see a leader in his, his moments of, of pursuing opportunities. And I also got a chance to see a leader when things failed. And I got a chance to see it from both sides. So I got a chance to see it from the personal side since this leader was my dad. And then I also got a chance to see it from the professional side because I was at the organization when he brought in the team to tell them that the company has been taken into receivership, which means the bank takes it over and it is going to distribute the assets accordingly and, and then it's done. So a very difficult moment for a leader to get up and communicate to the team that the business has not made it. And then to see what that looks like at home is a very different story because you see a, a different person when it's your dad. And, and I think it's, a, it's something that, that others don't necessarily see in a, in a leader. They don't necessarily see the humanity of, of what's going on or the, the person that is just like you and I, when they go home and they start to reflect on what's just happened, the, the high emotions that are involved with that, the investments, the sacrifice that's been put forth for decades and decades that, that has not turned out as expected. So that, that was quite impactful for me. Yeah. And how do you feel like that impacted the way you now lead Wyden? I think it's, it comes back to your power question. When I think about what I'd do if I, I weren't afraid, and I, I think about the fear of letting people down. And I think many, many leaders navigate that. I, I do in particular, which is if, if I have this fear of letting people down and and I have this fear because there's, there's people that count on you. There's, it's not just the 160 wide years that we have that depend on the leadership of the organization, but it, it is their families and you know, children are, are added and families are growing and, and that's additional responsibilities. People are counting on you to make things work. And so what would you do if you weren't afraid? I think it's the let's just let's, let's go for this. We, we, need to, we need to be aggressive about our growth. And that feeling of being more productive, being more opportunistic and going for it is, is something that, you know what, you can take this fear of letting people down and, and, and not let it go away, but, but just remind yourself that, that it's okay because what you're doing is you're developing people to their fullest potential. And that, that's the most important thing as, as you navigate and reflect on what is the purpose of a business anyway? Isn't it to develop people to their fullest potential? And so if we're really doing that, then it doesn't work out it's not like I've built some proprietary skill that's not useful anywhere else in the world. What we build at Widen and what great businesses do is they develop these, these people and they, they provide transferable skills so that they can go and transform other organizations if things don't work, work out. But in fact, this was a town hall question that we had that came up, which someone had asked, well, if you really believe in developing people to their fullest potential, then then how can you justify layoffs or how can you justify terminations? And my response to it was, was two words, transferable skills. Mm -hmm. Because yes, we have a business climate that sometimes changes and we make decisions that, that result in layoffs. And we haven't made those decisions in a very long time, but there are terminations that happen. And, but there's things that are being learned in the organization that are applicable to other companies and not just applicable, they are transformative. We can take skills that are learned here and bring them into other organizations and make them incredibly different for the better. So, so that's some reflection there about 
about how I think about you know letting people down and, and what was learned through that experience and building up transferable skills as an organization. I love hearing your passion and how deeply you feel and believe in these things. And I'm right there with you. And I'm glad that you brought out the power question. The power question is something that we teach. It's a five-step practice that we teach at World Blue. And the power question itself is, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And what I heard you say in all of this is, gosh, you know, I could shrink under the fear of disappointing people. Or I could totally look at it a different way if I weren't afraid. Let's have growth. Let's move this organization forward. And let's focus on doing what a huge part of what an organization is there to do, which is to help people be the best people they can be and to help release the fullest potential. And as a result, I know you guys have been experiencing awesome growth. I know you've had over 10x number of customers. You've had a doubling of the number of employees. Talk with us about your average annual growth rate and kind of some of these bottom line impacts that we've been seeing with this approach of freedom-centered rather than fear-based ways of running your company. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the 10x customer count was, that's been a directive for a very long time, which is what can we do to earn more customers? Because we know that we can take care of these customers. We know that we can, we can serve these customers best. And so if, if we let our teams figure out how we can attract those customers uh, and keep those customers, we'll, we'll continue to grow. And, and the growth rate that we've had yeah, over a 10-year horizon, we've experienced a little over 23% average annual growth per wow. year over that 10-year snapshot. So it's it's been an awesome ride and we expect to continue that at a faster rate. So it's more fun on the horizon. I love it. And I, I have some other numbers in front of me that I think are worth sharing. And as we really make this correlation between a freedom center culture and growth, and it's not just the growth of the company, it's the growth of your people, right? So over the last 10 years, according to your satisfaction, employee satisfaction survey results over the last 10 years, you've had a 24% increase in professional growth opportunities, a 29% increase in career advancement, a 24% increase in compensation compared to similar jobs, a 24% increase in information and knowledge sharing, a 25% increase in communications for management, a 23% increase in feedback about job performance, and a 23% increase in overall satisfaction. Woo! That is impressive, my friend. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's, it's the work of uh, 160 people. So they're, they're the ones that make that all happen. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it sounds very impressive and it's been great to be part of it. Well, it, it, like you said, it is the work of 160 people who are all pulling together. And I know how committed you are at Widen to having every person show up at their best. And I want to talk now about freedom center leadership. This is sort of the second dimension of the freedom at work model. And as many of you know who are listening, or if you're new, the way we define freedom-centered leadership is that there's three core attributes of a freedom-centered leader, power, love, and umbutu. In other words, they know how to be in their power in the right way. They have a high sense of self-worth, not arrogance. It means they're secure in who they are. And umbutu is about having a high degree of self-knowledge and accountability and connectedness with those they interact with each day. Now, I want to zoom in on the love attribute of freedom-centered leadership or what we correlate a lot to self-worth. And you and I have talked a lot about this. And the more that I get into doing this work, and I've been doing this for over 22 years now, but boy, have I seen this correlation between our own sense of self-worth, which is how secure we are with who we are, how much we, we love ourselves, how much we like ourselves, and the way that we lead. And I love to ask the question to people, 
on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being the highest, how would you rate your level of self-worth and why? And so I want to ask you that question. I know you and I've talked a little bit about this, but I'd love to hear our listeners hear your thoughts on this. So on a one to 10, where do you rate your level of self-worth and why? 10. 10. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love it. Any, yeah. any more questions? Any more questions? Yeah. yeah. Mic drop. Boom. You know, and when I just got back from two weeks in Romania and I was speaking to business leaders all over Romania about self-worth. And it's so funny because when I have them think about this question, most people are, I find are in the five, six, seven range. And I kind of consider the eight or higher range to be at least you're in the high self-worth you know, zone, let's say, eight or higher. But when I then say to people, as I have for years and when I was just doing Romania, is guess what? We really are all tens. Our worth and our value is a 10. It doesn't mean you aren't still working on yourself and improving, but we're all a 10. Sometimes you see people kind of recoil like, oh my gosh, I can't. I can't admit I'm a 10. That sounds arrogant. And actually, I think it's the most humble thing is to recognize your worth and your value and come at the way you lead yourself, the way you go through your day from a sense of completeness, from a sense of, of love, rather than trying to get love or get significance from outside of yourself. So why do you give yourself a 10? And how do you think about that? I, I think that I was, and you were, and we all were designed to be a 10. So that's... Definitely. Yeah. And so we're designed to be a 10 and, and anything less than a 10 is is almost an insult to the designer, capital D designer. And, yeah. And it's my job to make the most out of it. So that's on me. So, so now I have this, I've been designed this way. So what do I do with it? Now I get to make choices. I get to figure out how to apply this. And so there's a high level of personal accountability in that. So, but designed, I'm a 10, I show up as a 10 and that's because it's the way I'm made and it's anything less that I feel like is, is, uh, is insulting. And so then it's my job to make the most out of it. And so that's, that's just a high level of, of personal accountability that I think is, is imperative in how you, how you apply your skills and talents then to, to, to figure things out. People come to us a lot and they say, you know, how do we hire? How do we hire people for a freedom-centered culture? And so often we get caught up in, you know, send your resume and let's look at your skills. Let's put them through all these interview questions. And all of those things are important, but not as stage one. And one of the things that we advise, and I know you and I have talked about, is really stage one, you need to ask the question <laughs> on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your self-worth and why? Because you want people who are high self-worth. They're the ones who are going to thrive in a freedom-centered culture. If someone is really struggling with their self-worth and either A, they don't have the self-awareness to realize they are, or B, they aren't committed to growing, that's just not a fit for a freedom center culture. If they have low self-worth, but they're willing to own that where they are and they're thinking and they're really willing to work on it, that's great. But if you really want to build a freedom center culture that's going to work and last and not have the drama so that you can really focus on what it is you're trying to do together. You want a team of high self-worth people. And you and I've talked about this and you've embraced that question in your hiring process. Tell us about that and kind of what you've seen as a result. In the application process, we put the question in there. And then as a follow-up in the interviews, we ask what they think of when, when they read that question. What, what, what do they think of? And then we ask them to recount the score and then or recall the score and then reflect on the score that they gave themselves. And so we did that. We had just a little 
sample data for you. We, we sampled 315 applicants. So we asked that question. I just looked at 315 applicants that answered that question or, or were presented with that question. And we found that a little more than three quarters of them answered as eight, nine, or 10. And in fact, we had 2% of the respondents actually gave themselves an 11. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, the lowest was a three. 11% of the people chose not to answer it. And yeah, ultimately, 28% of the applicants, 315, 28% of them gave themselves a 10. And so from the, from the 315 applicants that we sampled, we ended up hiring seven of those people. Five of the people that we hired were 10s and two were nines. And pleased to report as well that those, those people are absolutely rock stars in the organization. So there's, there's no question about their status and their contributions, but there is, there's often great dialogue in the interview itself. When you ask them about how they think about the question, it's not necessarily, yes, the question is, is relevant, but hearing how they reflect on it. And what I've started to, I almost reordered some of the questions in the interview. I've, I've asked, I would ask first, just what do you think is self-worth define self-worth for me? Mm-hmm. And then we get into the rating and then we get into the reflection. So at least I know where they're, where they're coming from and how they think about it. I love that. And I think I love you're asking them to really define it because it's also important, again, to not confuse self-confidence with self-worth because sometimes people can act really confident and it's a cover for feeling really insecure and low self-worth. And so hearing them reflect on how do they define it what's their number and then why that number, right? Because so often people derive their self-worth from external variables. How big is my house? How fast is my car? How much money am I making? How fancy is my job title? You know, how in shape am I? How great is my hair? You know, all these kinds of things. And those external things don't impact our worth at all. It has to come from within. And so I would imagine listening to that thought process, I love how you're doing that, it provides some really powerful insights into this potential hiree. It does. And, they, and I do hear the common things, always room for improvement and nobody's perfect and, and interpretation of it being much more of a, uh, a confidence thing or a, uh, something related to, well, I, nobody's a 10 and there's always, there's always room to grow. So there's uh, frequent interpretations of it that way. Yeah. What people do, they often correlate improvement with worth. And that's a big thing I want people to understand is different. We're always growing. Like, I know I'm a 10, but I, gosh, I have a long list of things I'm always working on, but I still know my worth, right? So <laughs> I love that. I love that. Let's go now. Let's move into the third attribute of the Freedom at Work model, which is organizational design. And as you know, we believe the organizational design system that creates the optimal conditions for success for everyone while also impacting the bottom line is organizational democracy. And we teach at World Blue the 10 principles that make up a democratic system. So what I'd like to do now is talk about some of these principles. We were talking earlier in the show about a principle-based versus practice-based approach. I'd like to talk now about how you put some of the principles of organizational democracy into operation at Widen. And, you know, principles like accountability and choice and fairness and dignity and decentralization of power. These are some of the principles that create the framework for freedom, which is organizational democracy. I know you've got a lot of great practices. So let's start off with purpose and vision, which is one of the absolutely core principles, bedrock principles to have an action. How are you guys putting purpose and vision as a principle into action at Widen? We took this one at the individual level. We started to reflect on how 
hyper-competitive our market is, how chaotic it can be, sometimes working at wide and there's constant change. It's, there's a lot of things always going on at a pace that, that seems breakneck. And we went to the individual level because we thought if, if we're going to bring people into the team, we're going to ask them to navigate this internal environment. We're going to ask them to pursue these chaotic markets. Then we really need them to be sound within. We really need them to be dialed into what they're all about because they could very easily lose themselves amongst the chaos that is happening internally at Wyden or in these market conditions. And, and we don't want that. We, we don't want them to be manipulated by those sources. So they need to be really sound going into it. And we can best position them for that by offering them the opportunity to discover their own purpose. And so therefore, we established the Wyden Discover Your Purpose program. Nothing to do about Wyden, all about the individual. How can that individual dial into what they're all about? And so we pay for them to participate in the World Blue program for Discover Your Purpose, and they'll pursue their purpose and vision as a result of it. And we pay for that and allocate the time for it. And they come out of it transformed and they're ready to go to battle in these, again, in these hyper-competitive markets and they're ready to transform widen for the next 70 years of our existence. So getting the individual ready is where we went with purpose and vision. And I love that you had the insight and sense of vision yourself to go, wow, imagine having a company where the majority of the people know what they're here for in the world. And I think that's that's the sort of second hiring question I always like to ask when hiring at World Blue and advising other people is the self-worth question. And then, hey, what's your one sentence purpose statement? And a purpose isn't a, isn't a mission. A purpose is our reason for being. Mission's what we do. Vision's what we want to have as a result of living our purpose. And so the fact that it, we've had such... It's been so much fun working with Wideneers on this helping them find their purpose and vision for their life. And it just, you know, you don't have to motivate people when they know what they're here to do, right? (laughs) They're excited. They show up, they're engaged. So I love, I love that practice. I love that practice. Thanks for sharing it. Let's talk about the principle of transparency. I know you talked before, you mentioned your town hall meetings that you do. How often do you have the town hall meetings? Those are quarterly. So every quarter we get together in one of our rooms. Ironically, the room that we get together in is called North Freedom. All, of our, rooms, all of our rooms are named after Wisconsin cities and towns. <laughs> and there's a, there is a town Freedom in Wisconsin. There's also a town North Freedom. And, and so we get together in North Freedom and a lot of Wideners show up physically there. And then since we have a lot of teams remotely and we have a London team, and so they dial into to the video call and yeah, they supply questions in advance and ask questions in the moment. And then my opening slide to that is you have questions, I might have answers. <laughs> because I, uh, you know, sometimes I'm walking into things that perhaps I need to investigate further. And I think it, uh, there's a great example in the last town hall of, of me just serving questions to other people because there were several questions that were asked that, that are better answered by other people. And so I have a visual of a basketball player passing a basketball to another player and I just pass it to a person in the room. And so I say, all right, Deanna, this is your question because it's related to product development. So I pass to you and she takes it and and answers it. So those are, those are the town halls that we've established every quarter. And I know you also do all company standups and Will you explain to us how you do the all-company stand-ups? And then I know you had a very impactful all-company stand-up that related to what was going on with the Me Too movement. So I'd love for you to share with our listeners what that was about. 
Certainly. We have weekly all-company stand-up. So every Monday morning at 10.50, we get together and I address the company. So 160 people gather around, uh, some via video, some standing up around uh, an open space area that we have. And I share financial information. I share information about what's going on in the company, some things that we might need to work on, some things that are great stories that our customers are, are using our product in really neat ways share the new wins that we've got. Sometimes people want to make announcements for 30 seconds. They come up on the the front and and share their stories with Widener. So yeah, that's been going on for many years. And, And several years ago, related to the Me Too movement, we had an issue that we had to address that resulted in me realizing something that I hadn't realized before. And I found a study online that that had that had mentioned that one in three women aged 18 to 34 were sexually harassed in the workforce. Mm. And, I, and I thought, this, this, is, this is tragic. And I, I was talking to my wife about it and, and she just said, where have, where have all the gentlemen gone? And this was a dialogue between you know, Sarah and I and we, you know, we asked the question, where, where have all the gentlemen gone? And so I used the stand-up as a way to bring about more awareness to this. So not just hiding from this, but just bringing more attention to it. And so I had, I had gone through a, a series of statements from, from the study that I found, and I, I had made a statistical point, and then I'd follow up that point with, where have all the gentlemen gone? And as a result, some of those stats were 81% of women are harassed verbally. Where have all the gentlemen gone? Seventy-five percent of the people who are doing the harassing are men. Where have all the gentlemen gone? And so I would I would repeat this, and I drove that point home over the course of probably a five or six minute rant that I went on, and it was you know inspired from the conversation I had with my wife about about this very simple statement of where have all the gentlemen gone? And in fact, you may find it curious. I, I my son, one of my sons was in the office yesterday and I asked him to, I, I sent him to the power question, first of all, mm-hmm. but I also, uh, I also asked him, you know, Calvin, what does it mean to be a gentleman? And then I had him go into one of our breakout rooms and reflect on it. And he had said, he had wrote to me to be a, a gentleman means that you have a great amount of responsibility to be nice to all people and to care for everyone. I thought, wow. if, you know, we, we get that from a 12-year-old, and I think the, the insight of a 12-year-old needs to be shared with people in the workforce who clearly don't know what it means to be a gentleman. So that was, yes, we, we, we have driven that point home, and, and I've reflected on it often, because there's, there's now dialogue about what does it mean to be a gentleman, and, and I welcome those conversations as well. I love that. I love that. And when I heard that you did that and got to see even the video of how you did it, it was just, you could have heard a pin drop because it's the power of that question. You know, you had the courage to discuss this, to bring it up and of course, you know, to model it. So where have all the gentlemen gone? I love that. That was just such a a wonderful approach to handling this issue and raising awareness and raising the standard. So thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. Let's talk about some of your other best practices, which are also really powerful. Accountability, another democratic principle. How do you practice accountability at Widen? We used a model of OKRs, which stands for Objective and Key Results. 
and each team is assembling their own objectives and key results every quarter and they come up with them so they come up with the objective what are we going to accomplish this this quarter and then the key results are what is the number word combination that we are going to define that allows us to say we've met this objective and so every team sets this and then they share this uh, we have a an open area where teams post their OKRs and then they have to map them to the annual company objectives and that those are already mapped to our five-year strategy, which maps to our 15-year vision. So everybody can see what everybody else is working on through this system of OKRs. And there's so there's accountability that is at the individual level, but that is also spread across the teams and then that teams can see other teams and then they can see how they map to annual OKRs. So that's a bit about how we make sure that we adhere to accountability internally. I love that because what I also hear in that are the democratic principles of the individual and the collective. And I hear transparency in that and I hear accountability. And that's the beauty of how these principles all work together and support each other and and overlap. Let's talk now about the democratic principles of decentralization and choice. Because I know you guys are doing some really cool stuff around decentralization and choice. Yeah, I just uh, recorded a little segment related to decision-making. So we have a a message of power to the edge, which is a book written in 2003, to help guide the wideners on making more decisions. How can we decentralize more of the power to the edges so that at the edges of the organization, we're making more decisions? So we're providing guidance to everyone. So there's a little 15-minute recording that is being circulated amongst a few people and, and refined before we distribute to everyone at Wide with the intent to help them make more decisions because the power should be at the edges. They know what's happening in the moment, they should be empowered to address it in the moment. And they're also, they have the expertise. So there's no need to escalate things at Widen to troubleshoot them or to get things done. They can be solved at that moment in time. So that's a little bit about decentralization. On the choice side, we had we had a team just this year, our software engineering team, provide a self-selection team process where they set up one of our rooms, almost like a, like a little trade show where the product managers, the product managers set up these little stations where they were talking about the products that they were running or the teams that they were organizing. And then our software engineers and our quality assurance teams and our, our DevOps teams, they would kind of walk around and, hey, what are you working on? And what's the purpose of this team? And, and what kind of talent do you need? And then they were opting in to these teams. And so the leader of the software engineering group set up that environment and and he enabled the engineers and QA and DevOps people to to self-select into the appropriate team. And that was a that was a neat experiment. He's got he's got some great information about the level of satisfaction with their participation in this uh, in terms of would you rather be put onto a team or would you rather self-select onto the team and as it's no surprise here, people would rather self-select on the team they're working on rather than be assigned the team that they should be working on. So yeah, that's that's another thing that we're just trying out. Let's talk about one more democratic principle here, which is fairness and dignity. Another of the 10 principles of organizational democracy, fairness and dignity. You all have some really cool practices in this, including a popcorn manager. What's a popcorn manager? So we uh, we often get that like why do you have a popcorn manager? Well, the popcorn manager is a role that we created at Wyden, and we created it because we saw the need to include more 
of the more people in the workforce, people that were excluded from the workforce. And people that I'm referring to have different abilities than you and I. These people may have Down syndrome, they may have cerebral palsy, they may have fetal alcohol syndrome, uh, a variety of varying abilities. But they have been they have been neglected from the workforce. They don't get a chance to experience the dignity of work like you and I, the meaningfulness of work. And so we created the opportunity for someone to fill the role of the popcorn manager. And so what Andrew does is he goes around and tallies up how much popcorn to make. And then he comes back to the popcorn machine that we have, a very fancy commercial popcorn machine. And he, and he pops it and he bags it and he delivers it. And so Andrew has a chance to socially engage in an environment that, that he would not otherwise have that social benefit and employees clearly get the benefit of, of free popcorn and it's, it's brought a an incredible level of empathy to the workforce and and andrew isn't the the only person we now represent five percent of our workforce having varying abilities again to include people with down syndrome cerebral palsy and a, and a variety of other abilities so five percent of our our workforce and some have job coaches some have one-on-one job coaches we work with an outstanding local agency to assist with this called the community support network so they provide the job coaches we provide the employment but the popcorn manager was a way to just think creatively how could we use our entrepreneurial spirit and create a job opportunity and that's how the popcorn manager came into existence so powerful and a win-win for everyone involved, it sounds like. An absolute win-win for everyone. One last thing I want to have you share with us, Matthew, is unfairness and dignity is spirituality in the workplace. I know this is something that you all have started to talk about there at Widen. Tell our listeners a little bit more about that. Yeah, we, th- we think about wellness being multidimensional and and we have a variety of committees that have formed within that address of varying levels of wellness. And there was one that was not represented, which is spiritual wellness. So instead of just not addressing it, I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to organize a conversation about what spirituality at work looks like. And so I prepared some early documents and I, and I put it out to everyone as an invitation to participate in the spiritual wellness committee. So later this month, we'll have a gathering of our first spirituality at work conversation. And the requirement that I have for participation in this committee is openness. And that if people didn't know how open they were, then they could go off and take a big five personality test and they could help help them navigate or at least bring awareness to their level of openness. Because that's the one thing I need from participants in this committee is is a high level of openness. And otherwise, we're going we're gonna to have a great opening discussion about what spirituality at work looks like and then see where it goes from there. And see where it goes. I love that. You know, people are so looking for depth and meaning and the fact that you all are modeling how to do this is awesome. And we look forward to hearing how that goes. So powerful, powerful best practices in organizational democracy happening at Widen. We've talked now about the three elements of the Freedom at Work model, mindset, freedom center mindset, freedom center leadership, and freedom center design. Leaders may be listening to our conversation, Matthew, and thinking, wow, all this sounds great. How do I start? How do I start? What would you say? That's a great question. I would just pick one and start. I would, uh, the Discover Your Purpose program is a great a way to get into it because if you're going to empower your teams to do their very best, then you need to get them dialed in. You need to make sure that they understand what they're all about because once that happens, you can, your potential as an organization is 
unknown, but significant. So that is one way that I think you can really tap the most potential is by helping people discover their purpose. And then on the, on the other side is hire a popcorn manager, buy a popcorn machine, work with a local job agency and, and start allowing popcorn in your environment and create a job opportunity for somebody else. It, it is a, it's a transforming experience, not only for the, the new hires that you're going to bring on, but you'll see your entire workforce transform for the better. So those are two really simple things to just start transforming your culture into be a more freedom-centered environment. Outstanding. It has been so inspiring to listen to your passion, your commitment, your depth of thought around this. And I can see why Wyden is thriving and growing and having phenomenal bottom line performance. So thank you, Matthew, so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Tracy. You can learn more about Wyden on our website, World Blue. That's World Blue, no E on blue.com. Thanks everyone for listening. And remember to live, lead, and work in freedom. Catch you next time. Thanks everyone for tuning in to today's show on Freedom at Work. If you like what you heard and you're interested in finding out if you're a fit to work with World Blue, here's what I invite you to do next. Head on over to worldblue.com slash call. That's world and then blue without an E, B-L-U. And book an appointment to speak with our team. We'll get on the phone with you for about 45 minutes and explore how to help you develop a freedom-centered mindset, thrive as a freedom-centered leader, or build a freedom-centered workplace culture. Remember, living, leading, and working in freedom rather than fear in order to unleash your full potential does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. We have over 20 years of experience working all over the world with top leaders and brands from small businesses to Fortune 500 companies, helping them achieve results with our proven methods and courses. To see if we can help you do the same, head on over to worldblue.com slash call and book a call with our team now. I'm Tracy Fenton, and I can't wait to connect with you soon.